Most of us have probably heard this short phrase. Anyone can father a child, but being a dad takes a lifetime. Anyone can father a child, but it takes a lifetime to really become a dad. As fathers, and you know when I talk about fathers, and I stress this on Mother's Day too, it's too small a group. When I say fathers, really I'm talking to the men, I'm talking to the grandfathers, I'm talking to stepdads, I'm talking to all of us that have an opportunity to speak into the lives of children. And we're going to look at some of that in just a few moments. They have a, we can have such a large role in our children developing into what God intends for them to be. You know, sometimes they say we have this great responsibility to do unbelievable damage or to bring God unbelievable glory with the opportunity he gives us to speak into the lives of kids. So I'm not going to continually repeat, repeat fathers, men, grandparents. Just assume I'm talking to all of us guys here this morning. One of the things I usually try to mention at Father's Day, like I do at Mother's Day, when we gather as a body of Christ, we're here to honor God first and foremost. But today we're also here to honor fathers. And any time we set aside a day for a particular group of people or a particular relationship, it can also be a very painful day for some of us. Undoubtedly, no, I know for sure, for some of us today, there's a pain along with the celebrating of our fathers. And it can be for so many reasons. It could simply be a strange relationship with hurtful memories. Not all of our dads were necessarily the best dads we could have had. And some of us are struggling with that, with those memories. We struggle with that well into our adulthood, some of us the rest of our lives. We know that's hard on a day like today. For some of us here, it can be a mixture of great joy and sadness at the same time. Why? Because what we have are the memories that can bring us such joy. But that's all we have because our fathers are no longer with us. They went on to be with the Lord. The memories are great, but there is a sadness. And for some of us, there could be fathers in here who are mourning the death of a child at one time or another. When that happens, there's a void in a parent's life that can never be filled. Some of us in here may be desiring for many years to become fathers, but for whatever reason, our wives and us, we couldn't conceive. Father's Day can be a mixture in situations like that. So many things that can cause Father's Day to be challenging for some of us. And as I said earlier, one of the things I want to do is, for years, I, I remember so clearly some of my messages on Father's Day. It was like I took out the Lord's spanking equipment and spanked our dads. Come on, guys. <laughs> okay, ladies, repent. But today I want to want to look at what the Bible says, how the Bible can guide us. All of us, not just the men, but the women too. But I'm speaking to us as men because the role that we have is unbelievably important, way more important than most of us think. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, the Bible stresses parenting and dads, etc. 
You know, even in the world, we have some data and statistics that are horribly eye-opening when it comes to parents, fathers in particular. But we're going to be looking at the Bible. What a great place to go to find out how to get some instruction and how to be a parent, how to be a dad, how to be a grandfather, grandmother. And really, all of us as Christian men have opportunities, if we watch for them and are aware, to speak into the lives of kids. Now, I know as I go through a message like this, we also have many single moms in here, single for whatever reason, trying to do the very best that they can do, working their tails off more often than not, trying to fulfill a role of two parents. I just want to encourage you. You can't do it. So don't be so hard on yourselves. You're doing the best that you can, and the grace of God is there. But there is a role that the dads play that is really irreplaceable. I want to show you this morning just a few things of data, and I don't want to get bogged down in this. If you go ahead and put the first slide up, the father absence crisis in America. Notice on the top, there's 18.4 million children with a biologic, without a biological, without a stepfather, or without an adoptive father in the home. That's a lot of kids, one in four. And when you look at that data, I'm not going to go through all of them, but more likely to have behavior problems, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs, two times more likely to drop out of school. Go to the next slide, if you would, please. Notice this one has a different number at the top, but this is talking about 23.9 million children, almost 24 million kids who live absent of their biological father. And notice some of these statistics. 63% of teen suicides, no biological father in the home. 75% of children in chemical abuse programs. 80% of rapists had no father biological father in the home. 85% of the youth that are in our prison system, no biological father in the home. 90% of the homeless kids that we see on the streets are one-away children. 90% had no biological father in the home. They're devastating statistics. And the only reason I'm sharing them with us is to help us as men understand the role that we have is important. It's very important, not only for our families, not only in fulfilling the commission that God has for us. It's important for our culture, for our society, for our nation. There's so much data on what's happened over the last 50 years as the breaking apart of what we would have called the normal family has taken place. There's one more slide I want to show, and then I'm going to go on and get back to the Word of God, hopefully more encouraging for us. But this slide is so interesting to me. You'll see in this, if mom and dad both attend church together, statistics show that about 75% of the kids raised in that kind of home will follow their faith when they leave the home. If the dad comes to church alone, he's leading, for whatever reason, mother is not participating, there is still 55% of those kids who will maintain their faith. When it's only the mom, bless you moms, if the dad's not active and involved, only about 15% maintain their faith. 
And when there's no parent involved, obviously, the statistics are horrible. I look at that one and I think over the years how many times I see single women, not because they're not married and there isn't a husband, single women coming to church, doing all that they can, praying for their husbands to join them. This is a statistic that I think is unbelievably important to understand. We need to be involved. We need to be active. It makes a difference for the kingdom of God. And it's getting harder and harder in the influence, the society and culture we live in, to see our kids maintain their faith when they leave their home, leave our homes. So with all that downer news, let's go to the Word of God where it's much more encouraging. But as I said, my only purpose there was, guys, what we do is important whether you know it or not. And a lot of what we do is accomplished just by being present. But we're going to see some specific things that the Lord encourages us to do as men. I'm going to look at five principles that we can follow as men directly out of the Word of God. And the first one is training and disciplining our kids. A couple of scriptures, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. The Lord disciplines, and it's a given, as he says, he disciplines as or like a father who delights in his kids. We need to understand that we are to, to train and discipline our children. Now, when I, you hear the word discipline, most of us probably go to that physical discipline or spanking or sending them into the corner or whatever there is. But there's a lot more to that word discipline and training, teaching them spiritual disciplines. For example, read the word, pray, those kinds of things are disciplines as well as physical things that we do that are designed to help train our children, to keep them from doing things they shouldn't be doing. Ephesians 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As parents, as dads, we should be one of the very first teachers our kids have. And we should be teaching them right from wrong, good from evil. We should be teaching these things that are in our culture. Are Really, they're almost becoming contrary to our culture. This idea that there aren't absolutes. There really isn't a right. There really isn't a wrong. It's all abstract. Whatever you believe, blah, 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 blah. It's just not true. We have the word of God, the truth. And we should be teaching and instructing our kids in these things. You know, I'll be the first to acknowledge there are some areas in our lives that are gray areas. But there are a lot of areas that are clear black and white based on the truth of the word of God. And those are the things we cannot compromise And a culture that starts to compromise all those basic truths, you're going to see that culture and society and a nation begin to crumble. And all we need to do is look around. Teach and demonstrate. Teach and demonstrate. You know, we can be awfully good at teaching, telling what people should do, but they need to see it, especially our kids. You know, it's so cute when you see a little kid following their dad around, walking like dad does. You know, trying to mimic everything dad does. They are watching. And they learn probably more initially from observing us as parents than they do from us instructing them verbally. We need to do both. But we need to demonstrate that we're there for them. We're always there for them. We're always there to help guide them. We're there to support them no matter what happens in life. We always discipline 
and discipline and love. Now, there's a scripture that you always hesitate to read without giving a whole sermon. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. The rod to me here, we can go off on all kinds of tangents, and this gets so abused and misused. It's just the making the point to discipline. Yes, there may be some type of physical or corporate discipline involved, but we need to understand the difference between disciplining and punishing. Disciplining is always to bring about a desirable resort that will honor God and bring a relationship closer together, make it better. In other words, when we discipline, whatever it looks like, it needs to be out of love, out of love. I know one of the mistakes I made so often as a parent growing up, when I disciplined, it was in anger. It was more of a punishment than love. It doesn't draw us together. The Lord disciplines his people. We can look through the Old Testament especially and go, holy smokes, what kind of God have we got? But we need to understand his discipline, no matter how severe, always had one goal in mind, to draw his people back to himself. That was his goal. And if we love our kids, we need to train and discipline our kids. Proverbs 22.6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There will be fruit, and there will be some bumpy roads along the way. There will be some curves that we weren't expecting them to take. We're going to make mistakes as parents, all of these things. But if we can get the word of God in them, train them, so when they're older, those things will come back and guide and direct them. Training and disciplining our kids. Second principle, providing for our family. God makes clear, 1 Timothy 5.8, it doesn't get much clearer than this. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Man, I'd like to unpack that verse. But at the very least, we can see God expects men to provide for their families. Doesn't mean they have to be the only one providing, but it does mean they ought to be providing for their families. We're commanded to work hard. There's all kinds of scriptures about hard work. And most of you guys that I know well work hard to provide for our families. We need to make sure, though, that we are balancing our work time and our family time. There's a constant tension between those two things. And one of the traps and the snares that is out there, we we can say we're working hard to provide for our family, but the reality is we're, we're working so hard because we've got a whole lot of things that we want to have that aren't really necessary for providing for our family. That's where that balance comes in. We're working all those extra hours because we've spent a lot of money on a lot of different things that we wanted to have. We get caught up in that materialism trap. And because of that, we find ourselves, I mean, it's scary if you look at the statistics of the net worth of the average 45-year-old person. It's not very good. The amount of debt on a credit card, all of these things, it's like a trap that causes us to have to work harder and harder and harder, and it will steal that time away from our families if we're not careful. It's a constant tension, and it's not necessarily an easy one, but we have to learn to balance the work and personal life. Critically important. Training and discipling, providing, and the third principle is this. Being a father like our Heavenly Father. Now, how's that for setting the bar high? 
To be a father like our, our heavenly father, God, to be like him. What does that mean? Well, what we need to really do is just look at some of his attributes, his character traits, and ask ourselves, how am I doing? Lord, show me where I need to work. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. If we're Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us who will train us and teach us and give us the the grace to accomplish these things. What is it supposed to look like? Psalms 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. There's a good start. And I got to confess, there's a couple of those there I haven't been so good at my whole life. And there's some of them there that I still wrestle with at times. Malachi 4, 6, he will, God will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. It's so important that even in these prophetic words, these are something that God is going to do and restore. It's so important to him, the fathers and their children, that we are like him. And as they would continue, we could go on with love, compassion, patience, care, all of these things. It's good to ask the Lord to show you sometimes. How am I doing? You'll notice a lot of them are really the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit in us, that fruit is in us. It's there. We need to do what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do so that that fruit can manifest in our lives and be demonstrated to our children and children around us. Bear much more fruit. As I said, the title of my message, I think I mentioned that, maybe didn't, the legacy of a dad. That's what we're trying to, trying to do. You know, we as Christians are part of the legacy of our Lord. You know, he is sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. And the Holy Spirit, one of his primary jobs is to transform us into the image of Christ. That is part of the legacy for each and every one of us who knows Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We are building a legacy, no matter what we think. It may not always be the best. We can build a legacy that's not so good. But we're called to build a legacy that will bring glory and honor to God. Being a father like he is. Fourth principle. Never give up on your kids. Never give up on your children. Never give up. Man, there are going to be rough patches for most of us. As kids growing up, as parents having children, as grandparents watching our grandchildren, there's going to be things that hopefully drive us to our knees because there's plenty of opportunity for us to go in the wrong direction. Isaiah 43.2 says, When you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. In other words, no matter what comes, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to throw you to the sharks or turn you over to the devil. I'm not going to do that. There's a story that's pretty familiar to most all of us. I just want to share some of it with us this morning quite quickly. It's the parable of the prodigal son, which this morning I'm renaming it according to the scriptures. Go ahead and take your pencils out, scratch it out, the heading, and write this. No, I'm just kidding. But the parable of a loving father, parable of a loving dad, a demonstration for us of the Lord as our heavenly father, never giving up on our kids. 
And it's a story that you may not always see all these things, depending how you read the story and what you're focusing on. But there are so many family dynamics in this story that most of us are familiar with, one or more or maybe all of them. There's in this story rebellion, sibling rivalry, alienation from the family, the consequences of making bad choices and foolish living, the joy of a reunion, the power of forgiveness. Now, there's a story that covers a lot of ground. And there's things there that I think that we're all familiar with. And I hope you remember the story. If you don't, it's in, you can find it in Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11 and going through to verse 32. I am not going to read all that. But it's a story, if you remember, there's two sons. And their father's got some wealth. And in that time, it was very customary, it was normal. When there was an inheritance to be given, the oldest son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. The second son would receive one-third of the inheritance. And the rest of the siblings had to kind of count on the generosity of those older two. And it wasn't totally uncommon for sometimes the father to give the inheritance to his sons before his death if he was so led. But it was very uncommon for a son to come and ask his dad for the inheritance while the dad was still living. And here's what we see in this story. The younger son. And I let sometimes my imagination go wild, but as I'm looking at this story this week, I'm thinking, what must have been going on in this family that leads to this point? There had to be a lot of different tensions, maybe some conflicts, some frustrations, for this younger son to come up to his dad and basically say, Dad... Yeah, you're okay, but I'd rather have the money. What a slap in the face of his father. What could have gotten them to this place? Obviously, there have been many things. We just don't know what they all were in this story. But that's what happened. And the dad, for whatever reason, in my version of the story, he probably is looking at his son like we've looked at our sons or our dads looked at us and said, you know what, the only way he's going to learn is the hard way. Okay, here's your third of my inheritance. And he gives it to him. And what does he do with it? Well, things get a little bit bad about then. He gives him his share. The scripture says he travels to a faraway land and he squanders all his money on wild living. Man, in my mind, wild living includes a lot of things. Wine, women, gambling, at a party, and you name it. He was having a good time until he wasn't. I think I will read a few verses in Luke chapter 15. Not all these verses are going to be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 17. The kid's now out there on his own. He's broke. The scripture says a famine came to the land, and he's in trouble. And this kid ends up working for a pig farmer. Now, if you're a Jewish boy, that's not the desired goal of your life working for a pig farmer. The pig was considered unclean. Don't touch the pork. And then in verse 17, I'm going to go to 16. And he was when he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. 
I'm going to get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Some of us might go amen to that. You're going to get what you deserve. But he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, we're going to have a party. And we are going to celebrate the return of my son. There's an interesting phrase in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself. In some of the texts that you'll read or some of the translations, it just said he found himself. He came to himself. And then what that meant in their language was it's like a deranged person, an insane person getting his senses back, coming to himself. Really, it's, it's like a receiving a revelation that brings this healing. And it really, for us, it's a picture of what it's like for a sinner who doesn't know the Lord. Our behavior is insane. It's deranged. And by the grace of God, he may call us. And by his grace, we can all of a sudden be changed and transformed. But the son has this revelation while he's slapping the pegs. And then he decides, I'm going to go home. And he even says, I think this is what I'll tell him. This is what I'm going to say to my dad. My thought would be, I don't know how long the walk was, but man, that must have been one agonizing walk. What's it going to be like when I get home? What are they going to do? What's dad going to say? What's my older brother going to say? Can you imagine the shame, the embarrassment? This cocky younger son who decided, I need my inheritance now. I'm fed up and I'm through with this back here on the farm. I'm going to go on my own. And rehearsing the speech over and over and over. And then wondering and wondering and wondering, what's the reaction going to be? This is a picture for us of the Heavenly Father. And this is a picture for all of us as parents Men or women, grandparents, never give up on your kids. It doesn't say he got there, he walked up to the yard, knocked on the door of the house, and dad comes and answers. No, it's a picture of us, of God, his eyes going to and fro across the earth, looking for each one of us. It says the father was looking for him, waiting for him. It's almost as if every day he would go up on the hill and so he could see into the distance looking for his son, waiting for his son, praying for his son to return. And as the son is coming, that's exactly what happens. And the dad doesn't just wait. He runs towards his son. And it's like he almost throws himself around his son's neck and shoulders and says he starts kissing him on the neck. And then he decides we're going to have a party we're going to celebrate. We see this picture of forgiveness, picture of love, this picture of never, ever giving up no matter what. Whatever happens in our lives with our families. And, man, right, we know things happen. Some of them aren't so good. Sometimes there's kids make bad choices. Sometimes parents make bad choices. And there's consequences that we have to live with, have to deal with. The Lord will walk through those consequences with us too. But no matter what, we can't give up. And we can't become embittered. One thing we need to understand about bitterness, man, we are good at justifying our bitterness towards someone who really is messed up. 
betrayed us, hurt us. But as soon as it becomes bitterness, it now becomes my sin. has nothing to do with that person anymore. It's my sin. And we see a picture here of the Lord running towards those who have walked away for whatever reason, rejected, loving them. We need to stay strong. We need to stand firm in our confidence in the Lord, which leads to the fifth and final principle. And it's not the last because it's the least important. It just happens to be my number five. Pray. Pray. Pray for our kids. Pray for other people's kids. Pray for the kids in our church. Pray for the kids on the streets. Pray for the kids in the neighborhoods. Pray for these children. It doesn't matter how old they become. Continue to pray for them. We need to understand that prayer is powerful. There's a picture of a prayer that's just a brief one in First Chronicles 29. It's when David is praying for his son Solomon, when they're going to have Solomon build the temple. And Solomon, <clears throat> David, I should say, prays this way. He starts out praying for his people and giving thanks. He says, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. The people had been rejoicing in what the Lord had revealed. And then he says, and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and your decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Prayer works. Prayer works. Sometimes we say, I don't think God hears my prayers. God always hears our prayers. And he will answer them. Sometimes we hear, I'm just all this unanswered prayer in my life. No, there's an answer there. We just haven't seen it or we don't like it. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want them to be answered. Because most of us don't pray perfect prayers. We're not praying in the will of God necessarily. And they're not bad. Don't get me wrong. But God's prayers are powerful when we pray to the Lord. And we need to be praying for our kids. We need to be praying for them physically, spiritually, emotionally. And I think it's fine to pray for their material needs to be met, whether it's a job so that they can provide for their families or whatever. But we need to be praying for our kids. If we are really striving to put these five principles to work, I think we're going to find ourselves being much more successful as parents, grandparents, just as adults. And as I talk about the legacy, I want to talk about the biggest legacy, the most important legacy. The greatest expression of our love is the legacy of salvation. The legacy of salvation. When it comes to our families, our children, our grandchildren, There's no greater inheritance that we can leave our children than the legacy that we can leave concerning eternal salvation. As amazing and as wonderful all these other things can be that we can leave, there is nothing that compares to that. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instructing them, start young, start really young. Demonstrate it, teach it, talk to them. And then First Thessalonians 2, 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you, this is Paul writing, each of you as a father deals with his own children. How does a father deal with his own children? 
Paul says, this is how we dealt with you because that's how we deal with our kids. We encourage them, we comfort them, and we urge them to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. We all have this, but man, I just want to exhort us. Keep doing what you're doing and see if we can do what we're doing better. Just see if we can do it better. Let the Holy Spirit reveal these things to us. How can we get better? What can we do better? Show us those areas in our lives are strongholds. For whatever reason they're there, help us to see them so we can deal with them. Get rid of that in our lives. You know, we do have the power to fake, to, to, to form and shape our families. Not only our families, our society and our culture and truly a nation can be changed. We're seeing the results of what's happened as men have been removed from the family. It can be reversed by the work of the Lord and men stepping up and doing what we're called to do. And we need to do this not just with vocal and verbal instruction. We need to do it by demonstrating in the way we live our lives. So with that, I'd like to pray for our guys and men in the church here this morning. So if everybody would just stand with me if you're able. And we just want to pray. For the men, the fathers, the stepdads, grandfathers, all the men. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we have your word to instruct us and guide us. God, we thank you for new life, even as we celebrate these two children today. God, that we would all see as part of our responsibility to speak into the lives of these children to train them, to see them trained up, that they would come to that place in their lives of knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Help each one of us as men to fulfill the role that you have given us. You've commissioned us. You've called us. God, we acknowledge we need your help. By your grace, we can accomplish these things. Father, I pray that the enemy would not have a place in any of our lives or any of our minds to bring accusations of guilt or shame. Father, that we would go forward from this day striving to demonstrate a Father's love like our Heavenly Father has for us. That we could see our children, our grandchildren, the young people in our churches grow up and love you to serve you. Pray a blessing on each one of the men, the fathers, all of the men here, Lord, that you would bless them. I pray for their, the women, the spouses, the moms, that they would be encouragers and be able to exhort their husbands and the men to fulfill their calling in a, such a way that it brings them encouragement and strength and comfort, knowing that they've got our backs. So, Lord, we just thank you today and this day we set apart to honor the men and the fathers. Lord, and I pray for your Holy Spirit to minister comfort and strength to those. When we hear this day, it brings back pain, loss, suffering. Father, just be Holy Spirit, the spirit of comfort and strengthen each one. Pray you would bless this day and the gatherings that will be taking place. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.